Okay, Romans chapter 8. We are going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17 this evening. So if you could turn there in your Bibles. Romans 8, verse 1. And we'll read till verse 4. So if you could stand once you're there, stand for the reading of God's word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and and how it guides us and shapes us. I pray that you would be with us tonight. Speak through me. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight and that you'd open up our our hearts and our minds to who you are and how you are calling us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this week in Romans, we are, there is a slight shift in the discussion. So far, what have we been talking a lot about? Thank you. Okay, what specifically are we talking about? Yes. The law as it relates to... Okay, yes. What else, Lincoln? Is that your answer? So that recently, in the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the law and how it relates to us now. If you are in Christ, if you if you are a believer, how it relates to you now... Now, if you're not a believer, we also talked a lot about that, how it does condemn you. It shows you your sin and exposes your sin and shows you your need for a savior. But even before that, start going back all the way to Romans 1, we have been talking about the theological term justification or what we might say our salvation, how we are seen as righteous in the sight of God, how we can really be saved and how that affects our life. How that, how that changes how we relate to the law. How that changes how we view things. Does that make sense? You guys remember all of that? Yes? Bueno? Good. Now, Paul is shifting the discussion a little bit and looking at how we live now. How our justification affects us now. So he starts off um, by talking about that there is no, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that right there introduces us to really the topic of the conversation, the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit plays a role in the life of a believer. Now, this is a topic that doesn't get discussed much. The person of the Holy Spirit doesn't get discussed much. But it is is of utmost importance to us. Because yes, Jesus is gone. He died and he ascended to the right hand of God. And because he ascended, we were sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. So the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, lives in you now. He indwells within you and he is your guide. And he is the one who 
who really guides you towards obedience. So understanding who he is should be of great importance to you because there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be on social media very long to see people doing crazy things, claiming that they are being baptized by the Holy Spirit or they're being affected by the Holy Spirit. Those videos are false teachings. That is not truly what happens with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to every single believer. It's not someone that only comes to mature believers. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about walking in the Spirit, and then we'll talk about living through the Spirit and how we are sons of God or heirs with Christ through the Spirit. Those are our three points. Walking in the Spirit, living through the Spirit, and heirs through the Spirit. So let's look back at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's about as clear of a summary of, of Romans as we could get. So far, we have talked about how if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Without Christ, we are condemned, meaning that we stand guilty for our sins before God. Means that we, meaning that we face eternal punishment for our sins. If we are in Christ, though, we are justified. We are not condemned. We stand as, as Christ did, as we have, we have the same status as Jesus did in the sight of God. We are forgiven of our sins and are given the gift of eternal life. And we are given the gift of the Spirit. John 3.16 uh, to 21 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send in his Son to, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Hear the difference there. Look at the difference there. Those who believe are not condemned, but are justified. Those who believe have eternal life. That's why Jesus came to, to earth, to save us. He didn't come to earth to condemn the world as the Israelites were hoping for, that, they, that he would be this conquering Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government. No, he came to the, into the world to save us. Because we already stood condemned. If you aren't in Christ, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are already condemned. There's no way you can get out of that condemnation. Your na our natural state is condemnation. Ta Paul talks about that in Romans 1. That whether you're, you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you grew up with the law or, or if you grew up pagan, whether you grew up in church or you grew up outside of the church, you are condemned until you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John 3 continues in verse 19. This is the judgment that the light came into the earth, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this sounds so similar to the book of Romans. 
Our natural state is hostility towards God. If you are not in Christ, you are hostile towards God. Even if you come to church, even if you seem to obey the Ten Commandments, if you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are in hostile or hostility towards God. You stand condemned. In Christ, we are made new with a love for the light. We are set free from the darkness. We are set free from slavery to sin. Romans 8, 2, we're going to continue on, says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This word law isn't talking about the the Ten Commandments or the Old Testament law. It's referring to this idea of a principle. That the principle of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the principle of the Spirit of death. The Holy Spirit has set us free because we believed in Christ, because we have been baptized by the Spirit. This principle of sin and death, this law of sin and death, is condemnation, death, love for darkness, hostility towards God, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, hearing the truth and choosing to ignore it. The principle of the spirit of life, however, is is associated, obviously, with the spirit who gives life. Galatians 6, 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. In the flesh, we only face corruption. We only experience corruption and death. In the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. Through the Spirit, we are given life. Life to our dry bones. Through the Spirit, we enter into the light. So then we are free from death and darkness and are given light and life. And this comes for all believers. The baptism of the Spirit, I talked about this in main service a couple of weeks ago. The baptism of the Spirit is for every single one of us. You don't get slain by the Spirit. It isn't something that you have to go to the elders later on in your Christian walk to receive. We see moments of that in Acts, but the reason we see moments of that is because it's abnormal. At one point, Paul um, catches up with these believers and is shocked that they haven't received the Spirit. That is abnormal. What is normal is is receiving the Spirit upon salvation. Is experiencing new life upon salvation. It is a common experience for all of us. We are all given life by the Spirit, not just mature believers. So the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from death and darkness. That is the norm. That is the principle. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That verse isn't saying that Jesus was sinful. It's saying he came in our likeness. He came as a human. He experienced the human life. He walked this earth for 33 years. He knew what it was to feel hunger, to to be tired, to feel pain. He knew what it was to lose a friend, to lose family. 
to fight with your siblings, though he was right. I mean, <laughs> Jesus knows what it means to be human. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And in doing so, he condemned sin in the flesh. Through his ministry on earth, Jesus has condemned sin and death, and he is victorious. It is a victory that we could never win, that we could never gain, but he has done it on our behalf. God has done what the law could not do. Through Christ, we are saved. The law could never do that. It only exposed our sin. Verse 4, Paul talk, has talked about justification, and now we start to talk about sanctification. He's talked about what it means to be saved, and now he's going to talk about how we live that out, becoming who we are. Verse 4, in order, God has done what the law couldn't do. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have put to death the flesh. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We are freed from the law of sin and death. And, and Paul uses this, or illustrates this, by using an image of walking. That no longer do we walk this way. No longer do we live in the flesh. No longer do we do what, what we used to do by satisfying our own desires. Even if on the surface they looked morally right. No, now we walk in the Spirit. Now we walk with Christ. The danger here is that you can be in full agreement with what I'm saying. You can be in full agreement with passages like Colossians 3, which we'll touch on later, putting to death these things and, and picking up these things. But if you have not truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are not walking with the Spirit. You might have the appearance of, of holiness, but you aren't actually justified. This is the battle of the flesh and the spirit. It's not always obvious in our actions, but God knows our hearts. He sees the battle between darkness and light and sees where we are walking. And he commands us to walk in the spirit. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command. If you are a Christian, you are to walk in obedience. Belief in Jesus is not a get out of hell free card. It is a whole life change. I mean, this command is as clear as it gets. He's, he isn't mincing words here. But what do all these words mean together? This, if you've grown up in the church, you have heard this over and over and over again. We can understand what each of these words mean. Walk. Yes, I understand what he means by walking. It's how I live my life. By, easy, the Spirit, okay, the Holy Spirit. But then we put all that together, walk by the Spirit, and we have no idea what that means. Because we, first of all, because we just simply don't talk about it enough. But also because there's so much false teaching about this that you see people running around rooms, they're, they're speaking gibberish, claiming to be speaking in the Spirit. And yet that is not what Scripture says is walking by the Spirit. It may sound mystical, but it is really super practical and simple. It is just hard to do. So how do you walk by the Spirit? The first step 
is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have not put your faith in Christ, you cannot walk by the Holy Spirit because you do not have the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a total life change that requires the Holy Spirit. Paul expands on this a little bit in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, but for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is impossible to submit to God's law without the Spirit. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What we set our minds on completely shapes the way we live our lives. What you set your mind on is the direction that you will go. It's like plugging an address into Google Maps. It's going to take you whatever, to whatever address you put it towards. Whatever you set your mind on is the direction you are going to go. If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, then you will walk in the flesh. If you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, then you will walk in the Spirit. And the consequences come from our decisions. If you walk in the flesh, you are walking towards death. You are walking towards an open grave. But if you, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, you are walking in eternal life. And I'm not saying that, that you have to, that it will earn you salvation. No, it is evidence of your salvation. If you are in Christ, you will do this. Yes, we will still wrestle with indwelling sin, sin that's still within us. We talked about this last week and we'll talk about it more. But overall, your direction will be towards life. You will be grieved by your sin. You will know when to, con when to confess your sins. By walking in the Spirit, we are walking in life. But by walking in the flesh, we are walking in death. He says to set our minds in the things of the Spirit. That brings us to a passage like Colossians 3, which is one of my favorites. When we were in the grove, it was really easy because it was right behind me. But we're not anymore. Um, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He doesn't just say look at. He doesn't just say desire. No, he says, seek the things that are above. Go after the things that are above. Go after the heavenly things. Verse Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on, here on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on the things above. Paul continues on in Colossians 3 and talks about what we put off. Those sinful desires that we have put to death once, once we are in Christ. And then we put on righteousness. But how do we do that? Some practical ways that we do that are one, to be filled with the word. To fill yourself with the scriptures. To know God's word that he has given to us like the back of your hand. If you are not filling yourself with the word every single day, 
then how can you expect to walk in the Spirit? These are the things that we are supposed to set our mind on. Turn to to Psalm chapter 1. Here is the picture of someone who has set their mind on the things above. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his, on his law, he meditates day and night. That word blessed means flourishing. That this man is thriving regardless of his circumstances because he delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. And look at the contrast. He, doesn't, he does that, but what he doesn't do is set, to, set his mind on the things of this earth. He doesn't walk in, in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't say, stand in the way of sinners, and he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. No, instead, he is like a tree, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Not just that popped up by streams of water. No, this tree was intentionally planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. That is what it looks like That is why we plant ourselves in God's word. That is why we delight in God's word, because it leads to us prospering. That may not mean riches. That probably won't mean riches or or success that we might picture it. But what it does mean is living a life that is pleasing to God. We can see people living this out throughout the Old Testament. A great picture of this is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. He could be described this way, and yet he was persecuted by his own people, by the self-proclaimed people of God, because of what he was saying. So it may not mean you, you prosper in the way that you think the world prospers, but it does mean that you will live a life that is pleasing to God. We set our minds on the things above by being filled with the word, but also by taking our thoughts captive. And that may sound simple, but how much did you acknowledge God today? How much were you thinking about pleasing God with your day? I know I didn't do it as much as I should have, and I was studying the Bible. How much did you acknowledge God today? This doesn't mean that we are unaware of what's going on. We aren't just walking around with our heads in our Bibles, not paying attention to the world around us. No, we are thinking through how God would want us to live every single minute. We take our thoughts captive. We are focused on greater things. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, that we are focused on building up heavenly treasures, not on earthly treasures. Those may come, but they are not promised to us. Through obedience, we know that heavenly treasures are promised to us. We also live by prayer. We are in constant communication with God. We are confessing our sins to him, showing him gratitude for all the blessings that he's given to us. 
Walking by the Spirit means that we are solely focused on pleasing God. It really means that we are living by the Spirit and we depend upon the Spirit. That brings us to our second point. So we talked about living, or sorry, we talked about walking by the Spirit and we're moving on to living through the Spirit. Verse 9, Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, even though we still face the consequences of our sin, is what he's saying. The spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Christian, you are not in the flesh. If you are a believer, you are no longer in the flesh. So stop walking by the flesh. Stop returning to the slavery from which you were saved. You are in the spirit and every Christian has the Spirit. I want to make that point clear again. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. This happens at the moment of salvation. In Acts 2, at the end of Peter's sermon, the people who heard it responded and said, what should we do? And Peter says in Acts 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a promise to us, that we will be saved and we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They go hand in hand. Paul is clearly showing us that we are made new. That if Christ is in us, we have been made new. That we are living that out. We are working out how God already sees us. It's this promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 3, but more explicitly to Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, it says this, I, this is God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That God will put his spirit within us and cause us to obey. If you have been frustrated by your lack of obedience, by your disobedience, depend upon the Holy Spirit. He will bring life to you. He already has. If you are in Christ, this has happened to you. Each of these promises has already happened to you. Now we live them out. If you are not in Christ, if you have not made him your Lord and Savior, this new life has not happened for you. You still stand condemned. Put your faith in Christ and you will receive these promises. You will receive the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit. New life comes to us through the Holy Spirit. But maybe you want more evidence of this. Maybe you want actual, tangible evidence more than just these promises from God. Look down at verse 11, Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the evidence that we have of the power of the Holy Spirit, of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. God's word should just simply be enough. The promises of God should be enough, but he has given us evidence in the most powerful way by resurrecting his son from the dead after three days in the tomb. It is this same power that makes us new. The power of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The power of God who makes us new. Unbeliever, this is your evidence. This should be evidence enough for you to put your faith in Jesus. To trust in him for your salvation. To receive the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. To be made new. Believer, this is a reminder of the certainty of your salvation. Maybe you're doubting your salvation because of sin that is still prevalent in your life. All, every single believer in this room is still dealing with sin. That's part of our sanctification, our, our becoming more like Jesus process. So don't let your sin cause you to doubt your salvation. Instead, confess your sin and know that you've been forgiven. Know that your works, your sin, well, your works first off can't save you, but your sin also cannot cause you to be plucked from God's hands if you have truly trusted in Christ. You cannot lose your salvation if you truly trust Jesus. The Holy Spirit has sealed us for, for salvation, so be confident in that. Be assured of your salvation. Trust in Christ, not your works. When I have doubted my own salvation, it's because I'm looking to my works, not to the works of Christ. What Jesus did is enough for us to be saved. So trust in that. But we aren't just guided and sealed by the Holy Spirit. He also serves as, as evidence of our adoption into the family of God. We are not just slaves to God. We are also the children of God if you are in Christ. Look at verse thir uh, 14. This is our third point. We are heirs through the Spirit. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The fact that we are led by the Spirit shows us that we are sons of God. That doesn't mean that it earns us that title. It means that, that it is evidence of our faith. Similar to how James says that faith without works is dead. If we are led by the Spirit, if our desires, thoughts, and actions are in line with obedience, we are, are clearly children of God. So what does it mean to be a child of God? Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as, adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Let's unpack what this passage is saying. First, it says that we are to not fall back into fear then we are no longer fearful because we are not condemned. He's just reiterating yet again what he says in Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if there's no condemnation, 
If there's no death, if there's only life, then what do we have to fear? Who can stand against us? Because we stand with God. We don't, do not fear let death, so what is there left to fear? He's calling us to have an eternity mindset, that we are looking at life through the lens of eternity, not just in the 85-ish years that we might have on earth. No, we are looking at life through the, an eternal mindset. So first, we do not fall back into fear. Second, we see he talks about a spirit of adoption. Rather than being given into slavery and and a spirit of slavery, we are given into a spirit of adoption. We aren't just slaves to God. We talked talked about how we have transitioned masters last week. We are no longer masters to slavery or masters to sin. No, God is our master. We obey him. This speaks of our assurance of our salvation. We are standing with Christ as brothers and sisters of Christ. We are co heirs with him. We will always be children of God, and there is nothing that can take away our sonship. Nothing that can take away the fact that we are children of God. When we become a child of the Father, a child of God, it starts by putting our faith in Christ. Now, there's a a common belief that every single person on earth, every human that's ever existed, is a child of God, but that is not based on the Bible. Scripture is clear that if you are not in Christ, you are not a child of God. John 8, 44 to 47 says, this is Jesus speaking uh, to the religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever hears of, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus tells this to the Pharisees, but it also applies, applies to every single unbeliever. If your father is not God, then by implication, your father is the devil. You are a son of disobedience. 1 John 3, 8 to 10 says this as well. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Basically, whoever is still a slave to sin in the flesh is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you make a practice of sinning, you stand with the devil whose works Christ came to destroy. Verse 9, 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. If you are not a child of God, you are a child of the devil. The only way to be freed from that is through salvation in Christ Jesus. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Where do you stand before God.
Are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? Are you in the spirit? Do you have eternal life or are you still in the flesh facing death? That is the most important question you can answer. Where do you stand before God? The call of Romans 8, 1 to 17 is to live as a child of God. To live out your salvation. To become who you already are in the eyes of God. To obey him. To be assured of where you stand before God. And to live a life that is pleasing to him. So set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of God. And you will walk with the Spirit. Continue to live out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is the call of Scripture as a whole, but especially this passage. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that that calls us to obedience, that reminds us of our assurance and where we stand before you. I pray that that the discussion tonight would... uh, would cause us to wrestle with where we stand before you if we lack assurance. I pray that it would either fortify or expose our false beliefs or our our true standing before you. Thank you for these students and and the chance we get to study your word. and And thank you for these leaders who guide and disciple them. In Jesus' name, amen.